songs and stuff like that. We'll just start it now like Rogan always does. (laughs) Start a great conversation. Yeah, so Uh, like, I don't know, random pickups. I just don't like breakfast food, you know? hmm. I don't like eggs. Don't like sausage. Don't like pancakes. Any of that stuff, really, so. That's interesting, because I literally could eat breakfast food, I think. That's your go-to. Like, eggs and bacon is, like, my favorite food. Uh, Avocado, eggs, bacon, omelet. Put some hot sauce on there. Yeah. I'm good to go. But ever since my dad had his heart issue, like I just don't eat bacon anymore because we usually eat like once a week. Mm. Like, ah, I should probably like stop cutting back on that kind of stuff. So I just like haven't had it since then. But it's so good though. That was like the one breakfast food I did enjoy. Yeah. It's so good. It's amazing. Yeah, it tastes great. Do you find yourself like my issue if I don't eat breakfast? I, I'm like, I don't know, my blood sugar is like sensitive or I'm very sensitive. If I find myself skipping breakfast, I'll be like shaking, like really anxious, like foggy and jittery. So like I have to eat. Yeah. Do you not get that at all? No, not really. Um, like if I don't eat, there's like after about 30 minutes being awake and maybe for like an hour after that, like I'll have that hunger feeling, but then it just kind of subsides. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually like super like my focus is super clear in the morning with stuff, and if I don't eat, it's it's the same way. But it's after lunch always that I get like whatever that insulin spike and mm-hmm. my focus goes up. But like, that's like everyone, right? Like it's that two p.m. You want to go to sleep and stuff. So I think that's very common. Yeah, yeah. I would say that's that's how it is for me at work too. Like in the mornings, like I eat breakfast. I have like. There's this new routine I've been doing in the morning. You're feeling, like, locked in, ready to go. And then, yeah, after lunchtime, it's like, all right. Yeah. Um, I think, I mean, part of it's, like, the job I'm at, you know, I don't I don't love it. So I think after so many hours, I'm just like, okay, time to go. You know, Especially so after, like, a productive morning and stuff. Like, yes. Like, if you get a bunch of stuff in, like, after 2 p.m., it's kind of, yes, it's rough. Yeah, you're so. like, I already did a bunch of stuff. I put in my time. Yeah. You know, the work day doesn't need to be eight hours. Like, what yeah. are we doing? Let's go home. I mean, yours is a little bit different because you teach. But for me, it's like I have, like, projects. I'm like, if I get one or two projects done today, today's been a success. Right. So if I get those two done in the morning, like, the afternoon, that's that's all extra credit at that point. So. I like that. <laughs> are you, uh, so, like, with your work, are you expected to, like, you don't clock in, right? It's No. Um, so would there be anything preventing you from leaving early if you finished like your work for the day uh or is it just frowned upon i would say like yeah you can't like if you're in office you can't leave at like i guess you could leave at 2 or 3 p.m and it'll be fine as long as you have a reason on why you're taking off but i still think there's that like I don't know, the subculture of yeah. uh, what is this person doing leaving at like 1, 2 p.m. in the afternoon? Like, even if you got an insane amount done the entire morning. Right. Like, people just see when you leave. Like, human nature. Like, oh, yeah. so-and-so is leaving early. Like, they must be slacking off. And in reality, you could have gotten more work than, than they, they did in the whole day. But, right. I don't know, it's just, that's politics, right? So... And it illuminates just the psychology of how people think, right? Yeah. That it's time, not what you actually produce. Not quality. Yeah. Yeah, time focused. And some people are, like, talking the entire day or not surfing the web or doing random stuff, not getting their stuff done. And they're like, sure, you're there, like, nine, ten hours. But, like, was, was 
that all that time utilized? Like, no. So. Exactly. Like, how much of that time were you actually, like, consciously engaged in creating something versus mindlessly searching the web, avoiding what you're supposed to be doing, right? Yeah. Yeah, I was, I was thinking about that. I just did, um, well, I was thinking more about school, and I know we talked about that last time, but, like, the structures in our culture, do they ultimately help? I, I wonder sometimes, because I guess it's kind of what we said. It caters to the middle, right? So if you're someone who's more smart or more creative, it's going to naturally, like, cut off your edges a little bit. Would you agree with that, if that makes sense? What do you mean by cut off your edges? So I would say, well, like, for instance, the example you use, like, let's say you get in there, you finish all your work in three hours and you want to go home. Mm -hmm. Because of the culture, it, like, brings you into that culture. It almost molds you. Yeah. Um, I don't know what I'm trying to say exactly. But I kept thinking of that quote by, I think it was, like, Krishnamurti, where he said, it's no measure of health to be well-adjusted to a profoundly sick society. Mm-hmm. So I think once you fully adjust to society, your inherent creativity has been so marginalized that I think it's hard to get that back. I guess that's yeah. what I'm trying to say. And I've realized that with myself. Um, not that I'm trying to toot my own horn, but I know I'm like a very creative, expressive person and traditional structure just doesn't work that well for me. Yeah. So. I'm probably projecting a lot of my own stuff onto other people, mm-hmm. but that's just how I've always felt. And I think yeah, that's why I've, now I feel more drawn to like trying to create something on the side that's not tethered to that structure, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. If I'm thinking about it, like I, I, I think structure has its place and serves a purpose. And I think it's beneficial for a lot of people my thoughts is for people that are like top performers whether they be like very creative or they're very conscientious in work Mm -hmm. like they don't need the structure because you have your own internal structure driving you right Mm -hmm. like the way that i approach a day of in terms of like i need to get x y and z done today Mm -hmm. and i will get those done no matter what and maybe more like i what I've noticed in the workforce is a lot of people don't have that internal planning and they don't have like they can't structure their own work mm. um, I see this a lot with younger people too like sorry keep going I'm just making sure like they don't know how to um, like you'll get 10 projects in and instantly overwhelmed don't know how to prioritize like these ones focus on these two first is coming from uh, people that have like you know this is more important work based on what the assignment is and who it's coming from. Mm. Focus here and then kind of prioritize the rest and go down. Like a lot of people just have trouble prioritizing, have trouble structuring, don't have those daily goals of, you know, this and this needs to get done. So I think for younger people and for people that don't have that internal structure and discipline, uh, a generalized structure mm. is beneficial. Mm. Otherwise, like, for instance, with those young people, if I don't help come over to them, kind of tell them, like, hey, focus on these things first and don't worry about all this other stuff right now, like, it's overwhelmed and they just can't do anything. It's kind of just, like, mm, that nothing. Makes sense. So I'm kind of providing them that structure that they can't, at the moment, provide for themselves. So I, I think it serves a purpose, but again, for, for top performers or people that are highly creative, when you have that sense, your, your, your own self, 
all of a sudden now the structure is just constraining. Mm. Like if I have to abide by this structure where I'm going to get the work done anyways. I just, I can get it done at my own pace. Um, but now I have to be here for a certain time just because it's optics. Right. Like then yeah, exactly. Yeah. So like from our perspective, I would say that structure probably isn't as beneficial because we, you and I are both disciplined people. Mm -hmm. We like sticking to like our own kind of structure. So we don't need that. But I think there's, there's a good portion of people that it really does benefit. So. Mm. No, that's a good point. And obviously like, I mean, it comes back to order and chaos. I think ultimately always does. Right. But like, you know, you hear the story of like the really creative artist that has like no money and is like on the street, right. Because mm -hmm. they have no order. Yeah. So I think it's like you have to just find your own balance. Um, but yeah, with if you work for an organization, they're basically saying this is the balance line. Yeah. If you're on your own, you get to choose like what percentage of chaos, what percentage of order do I have? Mm -hmm. And I think that everyone has their personal sweet spot, yeah. right? Where you can maximize creativity, um, but still stay grounded enough to you know, have the discipline and order and focus. Yeah. So yeah, actually that's a, a great point. I think most people do need that, but yeah, maybe like you and I would work well if we just had just enough discipline to keep us flowing as much as possible, but yeah. too much. And then we become cut off from our natural gifts and disillusioned and, and things like that, which can be very frustrating. Cause even yeah. I was thinking of sports again, we talked about like Kirk cousins. Um, do you follow baseball a decent amount? Uh, I mean, I read articles here and there, but I'm probably not as diligent as, like, you or Tim are about okay. following baseball news. Well, yeah, I mean, we're a huge nerds, so that's <laughs> a good thing, maybe. But uh, do you know who you know who Javi Baez is? The guy in the yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's, like, this very free-flowing... He's, like, an artist out there, essentially. So I would say he's, like, a very creative artist. And there's been a lot of people that say, like, oh, should you teach him to change his swing to change his approach at the plate, to change his discipline. And the question always becomes like, how much do you pull him in, right? Because mm -hmm. the more you pull him in, you're gonna lose his natural gifts. And it would work with like a Mahomes yeah. or any, any quarterback too, right? So like, how do you find that balance between letting him be himself and reining him in just enough? And I think that's yeah. where like a great mentor or great coach comes in. And that's why like, I've been seeing a couple and I think everyone needs to see at least someone who yeah. can kind of like see them and be like, okay, this is what you need. I'm going to provide the structure, but I'm also going to know when to like let go and let you yeah. do your thing. Yeah. And I think that's a unique case because, so I would say with the general mass, a lot of people have trouble putting any structure in place in their lives, which mm -hmm. is why if you lay a structure on them, they're actually grateful because otherwise they just kind of seem like, they're disoriented. They don't know how, how to go about things. They're stressed out. So yeah. just please tell me what to do, yeah. like how to focus. I think people that like get to the upper end of their disciplines, like Pat Mahomes in terms of one of the best quarterbacks, if not the best quarterback in the league right now, or mm -hmm. like Javi Baez, uh, potential MVP of the league, right? Like when you're at the top of your discipline, like you have obviously gone about your life in a way that you've gotten yourself to that point obviously right. people have helped you along that way right so now it's kind of like i've done all these things i've created my own internal processes i've taken all this and i got to this point now it's really hard to be like ah, but you need to change this mm. it's like but i've gotten myself this far like 
do I need to change that? Like, I feel like it's right. tougher at that end of the spectrum because it's like, mm. I've done everything right. I'm at the top of the sport, and now you're telling me to rework how I swing the bat. Like, mm. I think it's from my perspective, I think that would be tough. And it, I could see like you know when you try to rework a whole thing like that, like it can mess with so much of your psyche and all the things that you've done already in place. So I don't know. I feel like that's a whole different ball game and it's it's way more complex than like most people are just like give me a simple plan and like <laughs> you know like so yeah so you're saying if someone's already at the top it's a lot harder to add structure than for someone who's maybe just like complete I mean at the bottom yeah someone who's like stressed out and doesn't know what's going on it's easier for you to like inject that structure versus someone who's already gotten to yeah success because I would make the generalization that if you have made it to the top you probably have abided by a structure that has really benefited you. Right. And now they're telling you to pivot away potentially from that mm. to a new structure. And it's like, you have that mental thing where it's like, well, this is what made me successful. Right. And like, you have the thing of, who are you to tell me to change the structure? Yeah, like, you're not the in. best quarterback in the league. Yep. Or like, I, I, I think that's, like, obviously people need to make adjustments, but I feel like that is a, a tough case to like do that to navigate that area I don't even know how how it would be for like a hobby bias to yeah. be in that situation like no, I, I would take some adjustment but like I'm not gonna revamp everything you know so I, I don't know yeah yeah no I think that's what the balance is it's like just enough like I think a great coach or a great fit for him or for anyone is like just someone who can maybe just make like a 0.1% tweak yeah. that can bring out even more, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I've been going through this book called The, the Big Leap by the psychologist Gay Hendricks. Mm-hmm. And he talks about how we all have like these upper limit problems. Like we get to a certain point where we think that's all that's possible and we self-sabotage, right? We just don't believe it's possible. Mm-hmm. So he talks about how like a good coach or mentor can help you kind of break through that glass ceiling. Yeah. So you wonder with those athletes if like they can find someone that can just help them be even better than they realize because yeah. their their ego is likely getting in the way because you see that in sports all the time, right? The guys are like, no, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Their ego is getting in the way of them stepping up because yeah. stepping outside of that like glass ceiling requires like a foray into the unknown. And when you go into the unknown and try things you haven't done, failure is possible. And I think for yeah. a lot of these guys if they've gotten that far on pure talent, they probably haven't faced failure. So I wonder if that's a big part of it. If they're like, you know what? I'm good. I'm in my comfort zone, kind of. Mm -hmm. I don't really want to be pushed to be more because that might make me uncomfortable. Yeah. Because he talks about, um, there's like a zone of genius, which is like you're like literally doing like the best you can at everything. And then there's like the zone of excellence, zone of competence. And he says most people end up living in their competence or excellence because they're scared Mm-hmm. of stepping up and yeah. I think that would equate to probably how a lot of athletes are it's like they've gotten so far they're incredible but if they could just drop their ego a little bit and take like a little advice yeah then they could maybe even go higher yeah I agree with that and to the point of the mentor I think the the crucial component for that is like like myself I you have to build a relationship and establish that trust with the person before I'm going to take advice from them yes absolutely like i'll go to goodwill hunting like robin williams like with psychologists like such a good movie 
if, if you don't have that base of trust, which is a slow build, and it has to be like a true relationship, and mm-hmm. there's no shortcuts to it, if you don't build that trust, like if you're a stranger, you come in this room, and you just talk, start telling me like things I should tweak, and they might be things I really should tweak, Right. I don't know you. I don't trust you. Right. I'm going to throw everything you say out there. Very, very likely, yeah. And maybe five years down the line, I'm like, yeah, what they said was, uh, had some validity. And maybe I should have yeah. made those tweaks. But I didn't trust that person. I didn't know them or where they're coming from. So I feel like the most important part is like when trying to go about finding a coach or a mentor for those slight adjustments. Like It's mm-hmm. just that slow process of do I even get along with this person? And then once you get along with someone, like, do I, you start to trust them. And if that trust is there, then all of a sudden I'm more open to you telling me that, hey, maybe you should consider, okay. It's like I'm doing the, uh, a refi with Tim right now. And like, because I, I know Tim for right. 15 years and right. I trust him. Yeah, 15 years. Yeah, yeah like, I'm like, ah, like, you're not just trying to get me to do it to make some money for yourself. Right. You're right. gonna try to give me the best deal. Like with, I'm going to go through with it because I trust you and I know you'll like you'll take care of me throughout the process. Mm-hmm. But if some random person just gave me a phone call or an email, hey, rates are low. You should refi. Like, okay, maybe I'll research it and consider. But like, I don't know you. Yeah. I don't trust you. Like, and it's. I feel like it's be way more difficult to drag me through the process than if it's like a friend of 10, 15 years. They're like, hey, you can do this and no pressure if it works for you, like fantastic. If not, like no worries right now. Like that's way more powerful. Mm, That's interesting because so I'm in this four month program to like launch a coaching business and that's like one of the main things we've been talking about is when you're messaging someone on like Facebook Messenger trying to connect with them, you know, people can tell right away if you're being genuine or if you're not being genuine. Yeah. People, people are going to want to work with you because they actually trust you and believe in you and resonate with you, not because of any tactics or skills. Yeah. But I think so many people focus on like, like I've gotten some messages from random people. They're like, hey, um, you know, here's this new marketing thing. And they just start right out with that. It's like, well, yeah. that's not going to work. Like, yeah. You, yeah. You have to like genuinely, uh, the guy I'm, that's coaching me, he's like, you have to genuinely care about people too. And a, yeah. a lot of people don't like it's very their their whole business is self-serving mm-hmm. and i think you have to be able to to start from that place of like i'm here to serve yeah and offer value and if you come from that place i think the right people will connect with you and want to work with you yeah but people can usually smell like if you have a good sense of intuition like i know you and i do for sure like when someone reaches out to you you can tell if it's bullshit or if they actually care yeah so and most yeah. of the time it is bullshit right yeah. like let's like most of the time it is but like, um, I was gonna say something now I forgot. <laughs> oh, it's all good. <laughs> but uh, like with, I don't know, with coaching and like stuff like that, like the people that are kind of just reaching out and just trying to get like clients, like I feel like that's why a lot of people are skeptical about that whole like right. area. That's the problem. It's because there there are con people in it. You Absolutely. know, like I'm trying to make a living. Like I'm gonna reach out to as many people as possible. Don't really care. Let me just try to give you some random advice. And some people fall for it, right? Like yeah. people fall for clickbait. People fall for scams and, you know. Yeah, pyramid schemes. And exactly. All like, if, but if you want to be like a legitimate mentor coach, I almost feel like it's one of those things where you just 
slowly have to somehow start building a relationship and like it's one of those things where like if I was going about the business I wouldn't charge someone until like I feel like we have a relationship they're starting to get some value out of it now it's like hey now do you want like even more dedicated coaching Mm -hmm. like now we can talk maybe and figure out like sessions or something and then it would be like a, a monetary component to it but until like that initial base has been set like I'd feel like a lot of those coaches are like scammy and that's like the the negative associated with it like, not to say that absolutely. there's so much positive to it but like oh you're totally right there's an influx of these people just trying to make a quick buck spamming and everyone with like the same message you're spamming and like yeah what it what makes me trust you what makes me say you're qualified all this kind of stuff yeah. so it's it's tough yeah no that's a great point that like you can't you can't start right off the bat and just be like all right i want you to pay me 500 dollars a month for this advice yeah um, what what this guy this talks is going to change your life right i got right yeah tips can change your life right and there's always going to be some people that fall for that but yeah. the question is like well, first of all i know personally uh, that's not the kind of coach i would want to be yeah some people would be if they're very motivated by ego they're like well i don't care i just want to get their money it's yeah. a very taking relationship but um what he talks about he calls it like the natural enrollment method he's like you start conversations with people you give value and then the people that you feel like are receptive to learning more then you start talking to them privately yeah and you just kind of like find out about them and you're like hey i think i could help you if you're interested in more guidance let's hop on a call and then you do like the initial sales call so it's like very yeah. organic it's like you're already offering value in like Facebook groups and like with my page and stuff. I've been sharing a lot of videos mm-hmm. and if I like, I'm, I'm all for offering free value, but if yeah. someone wants like very specific guidance, exactly. That's where the coaching comes in. Yeah. Cause you're already giving. Um, but then, and the you people, have to, cause exactly. that's how people are like, you can't build relationship and trust with a thousand people in a room with them at the yeah. same time and figure out which ones are going to, be the ones that turn out to be like dedicated one-on-one coaching like yes via platforms people are trust you via that like yep. they see you they see the message you have and they see over time like the consistency of it and like what you mean by it and even if you have never met that person yep. in real life like they're gonna learn to trust you over the course of that exactly that's exactly what it is because yeah you have to be patient too like it's you're just putting out content. Um, like on Facebook, it's kind of cool because like there'll be certain people that just like your videos. And I've I've been on the receiving end of, you know, like I, there's this guy I see now. I liked his page over several months and he reached out. And he's like, hey, how are you, man? I felt obligated to reach out. We got coffee the other day and like, you know, we, we've started like kind of a relationship. So it's stuff like that. You just keep providing value. Yeah. And then the people that consistently like trust you and resonate, mm-hmm. then you can go deeper with them. But exactly. the core is providing value. Yeah. Like, I'm working on myself. I'm providing what works for me. And if you want more guidance, reach out. And yeah. I think you just have to be patient. Because, I mean, me personally, I want to leave my job, so it's been hard. I'm like, just be patient, yeah. day at a time. Day the only time. way to go about this properly, it's a slow build. Yeah, a marathon, not a sprint, is yeah. what one guy told me, yeah. And, like, I feel like now, especially, like, what you just said, I feel like that's going about it the right way. Um, and I feel like there's some people that are, like, like, who's that guy on YouTube, like, Tayo or whatever, the guy that says he reads, like, 500 books. Oh, Ty Lopez. Yeah. Like, that just, I feel like there's so many people where, like, it's kind of gimmicky and it feels like bullshit. Yes. And I feel like 
as the end, like you need to steer away from that and be more like genuine because those are kind of like there's some like authenticity and like good points in there but it's also wrapped up in that like I'm skimming 10 books a day like this right. is gonna get you like wealthy and it's like mixed in with that garbage yeah I feel like that's like convoluting the whole message and like people are like oh yeah like I'll just start and it's like I'll start waking up at 4 30 skimming 10 books a day right and I'm gonna be rich and like I feel like no like (laughs) they're just gonna like copy his his structure system yeah and it's it's coming off like oh this is just the key to it all like it's I don't think so like the one key there's so many YouTube videos that are like the one thing you're missing yeah like provide uh, value but like provide real value and don't lie to people and say any of this is short term like this takes a lifetime that's it right there there's no such thing as a quick fix no no such thing but actually tyler um rsd tyler owen he had a really good video recently he's changed a ton um but he had a really good video on that exact thing he talked about like his marketing strategy you kind of have to give people what they want before you give them what they need Mm-hmm. So he said you need to sometimes put the clickbait stuff to catch their attention. Yeah. And then once they're there, you slowly like release more of the real value. Yeah. Because he talked about like if you make a video that's like, here's the key to success, but it might take you five years and you know, like no one's going to click on that. Yeah. So that was a good counterpoint, I thought. You don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater. Yeah. And I know he's friends with Ty. Um, As a marketer, I completely understand that. Yeah. You have to grab attention. Yeah. I don't know if I fully agree with it. I don't think I do either, but I understand what he's saying. Yeah. I, yeah. I do understand that point, and that's the approach that they're taking. It's a very conscious approach. To I think that. it's, like, it's an approach you can take, whether it's an approach that, like, I personally would take. I don't know. Yeah. Because I feel like, I don't know, you're starting off a relationship then. That's a good point. Kind of with some deception. That's a very good point. Yes. And that's my trouble with it. So That's a good point. I might actually watch that video again because I remember at the end of it, I'm like, it makes sense. But what you just said makes sense too. Like, why would you want to initially start with a lie? Like, I think theoretically, offer your honest value and whoever yeah. resonates will come if you're patient with it. Well, I, I think that's exactly kind of like, if you're honest with it, you're not going to get as many people initially watching. Right. Because you don't have the clickbait. You don't have the marketing kind of right. you're gimmick not gonna be like to draw people surge. in. But it's a slow build. If you want to start the relationship off on an honest note and kind of build trust that way, it's going to be small audiences that actually click on stuff that's not bait or marketing gimmick. If you want to take a, a faster route and draw in more people, you have to do those kind of tactics where it's gonna make it more of a viral video or something or right kind of gimmicks but then again you're going for a faster approach mm-hmm. but it's built on a rockier foundation i would argue yeah no that that's a really great way to think about it. that's exactly right because i think a lot of those people that get the quick success and they they create that video or like you said viral video but then eventually everyone realizes it's crap yeah and they lose everyone and then they're actually farther back from where they started like maybe they had more financial success initially but they've lost yeah all the trust they've lost integrity with themselves and then they're back to square one or even worse and i think it's tough too because like i've like watched tons of those videos and stuff and and i've enjoyed a lot of them and again like they say like 
it might be gimmicky to get you in, but there's real value in there. Yes. But at the same time, over periods of time, like looking back on it, I feel like I just grow skeptical of it. Cause I feel like I look back on it and I just, I remember kind of the gimmicks more yeah. than the value. Interesting. And now all of a sudden I'm kind of categorizing as a gimmick as mm. opposed to value. Mm. So like looking back after years of having watched them, like that's kind of my thinking now. So, which is why I'm leading with the approach of like, maybe don't start with the gimmick. And like, if you build from day one, just honest, authentic, like if I'm watching those videos, like five years later, I'd be like, well, it's kind of like Jordan Peterson. It always seems authentic. So yeah, he's a great example. It stays of value. Whereas other people, it's a little bit different. Yeah, he's a great example. Cause he, I mean, he had been professor for like what 20 years before he even became yeah famous and he just kept being honest and authentic and eventually he rose yeah. up and um the benefit for him marketing wise is so he's always stayed honest and authentic with his message but his base there's the people that take snippets of it yeah and they put the marketing gimmick they put right. like the the headlines that get you to click yes and that that it's weird because it generates that like volume of people coming in and that buzz but it's not him doing it right so it's like when i look at him i'm like oh well he stayed true to it it's just some of his followers have been using like those tactics to like further oh totally. the message which like i can't blame him for it no but, exactly. like if, if he was doing it himself then i'd be like mm-hmm. yeah i don't know you know so yeah no it's very interesting and at the same time, I think it's, I guess it, you have to kind of choose like what kind of people you want to attract to. Cause maybe a lot of people are like, you know what, I'm strongly entrenched in my ego and I want to attract clients that are strongly entrenched in their ego as well. And yeah. that's fine. Right. Like you meet people where I think you kind of attract who you are. Right. So like, I would like to say that I'm going to be someone who's very conscious and working on myself and I want to attract people like that. But if you're yeah. someone who's content or more plugged into the matrix whatever and they're just like you know what this is who i am this is who i want to attract and if they're happy i mean maybe maybe there's a place for that too because i think sometimes i know i can do this i project this like idealist that you know you and i are both like that we project this idealism on everyone else Mm -hmm. and assume that that's the way things should be but there always are going to be people that operate on a different frequency you know so there's always going to be those like catchy marketing guys and they're going to attract those and you know what if they're marketing happy works. with it yeah like that's yeah. the fact of the matter but like marketing one on one don't try to appeal to everyone because you end up appealing to no one yeah. you know like somebody to your point like I think you do end up attracting people that are similar to who you are I think that you are attracted to people that you want to be million percent so a million percent I yes. would say as like coach like it's I mean, you need that deep understanding of who you are, mm-hmm. and then you kind of focus your content on, like, taking lessons that you've learned, and then you're gonna attract people that are of a similar vibe, but you're also gonna attract people that look up to the current state you're in. And mm-hmm. It's like, oh, I wish I was right. similar to what he is now. Right, like so they sense that they could be. Groups. Yeah. No, that's so true. Yeah, I mean, even you and I with Jordan Peterson, we're like, well, obviously we really look up to him. There's something yeah. about him that we admire, right? Like the fact that he's harshly honest and truthful despite overwhelming criticism is really admirable. And yeah. you and I must obviously resonate deeply with that. And I think that's 
those that's even more powerful than the kind of like because I am interested in people that think similar to me and I vibe with and stuff like that but I am often looking at stuff and uh, reading content where it's more like the admiration aspirational marketing right mm. what do I aspire to become mm. kind of taking that in so yeah. I don't know if that's unique to us or if other people are similar to that so yeah I don't know probably in ge- I mean in general it would be I think we look up to or we resonate with the marketing that shows us something that we know we want or would like to have um the lower level marketing is like how to get girls, how to make money, or the ego based stuff. It's yeah, it's fear, it's wealth, scarcity, it's all yeah. like basic human instincts. Yeah, maybe even just thinking of Maslow's hierarchy pyramid, right? Exactly. It's appealing to the base, like how to improve your social life, how to get money, how to get this, and then yeah. as you go up, it's like, and at least where I've been, and probably you are, is trying. It's like how do you get peace of mind? How do you live a life of integrity? Like. Your focus changes. It makes sense that it's Maslow's like hierarchy. It's a pyramid, like perfect, right? The, the base yes, attracts perfect. a lot of people because a lot it's of people genius, are interested man. in those base instincts. Yes, but if you're catering the message to the top of that pyramid, you're yeah. obviously going to attract way fewer people because they're just not there yet. Yeah, or maybe there's fewer people that are one rung below on that pyramid. So yeah. I actually, this is going to be very metaphysical and you might not resonate at all, but I just watched some video. <laughs> I just watched some video this morning. Well, one of the coaches I'm seeing uh, told me about this guy's channel. It, it's it's a lot of spiritual stuff like Course in Miracles. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. No. Or, um, the Law of One. But it talked about how there's kind of a pyramid of consciousness as well. And like we started as matter, that's level one, then animals, then humans. Then there's like these like evolved beings. He would say yeah. like... Jesus and the Buddha were on this level and then we keep going um, but I think yeah everyone's like on their own evolution of consciousness as well so like the important thing is to never judge anyone too because I mean we all judge people but everyone is just doing the best they can so I think it's easy to like demonize those people in ego mm-hmm. but if you think of like what is what uh, in the Bible when Jesus was literally being crucified what did he say? He said, forgive them for they know not what they do. Yeah. So I think that's how we can approach anyone we don't agree with or resonate and just be like, well, they're not really conscious to the fact that they're living in this lower paradigm yeah. or this limited paradigm. Like it could be much more expansive and conscious yeah. than choosing to live in that paradigm. It can be so tough sometimes though. Absolutely. Like, especially with... <laughs> it's a practice. A lot yeah. of people, in my opinion, like don't view themselves on a journey of consciousness it's right. kind of like this is where i'm at and i'm staying where i'm at and then if like that's the state and then you have to like deal with that kind of personality like it's very difficult like it's i completely admire and honor the people like obviously that like you can always be the better person in every situation well, I don't but think that's even possible, right? We're tough. human. Yeah, yeah. You can't, I mean, unless you're literally like Jesus or, yeah. you know, like Eckhart Tolle, which is like, oh, sure, sure. It's yeah. Okay. yeah. I don't, I don't know. It's, it is tough not to bestow judgment on situations. So. It is. Yeah. No, yeah, the, the, the videos in like Course of Miracles, that's kind of what it talks about. It's like, it's forgiving people because I do think like everyone's doing the best they can. If they knew better. Yeah. 
like if they could see more clearly, I think they would be making a different choice. And even like forgiving yourself for your past behavior, because it's easy to like look back and be like, oh, I was such a fucking idiot. But yeah. like, you didn't know. Yeah. So I think everyone's just doing the best they can. And he talked about like evil, like there is no evil. It's just unconsciousness. It's just people, like he equated a murderer. This was really interesting. He said, everyone's doing what they think will bring them happiness and peace. And a murderer thinks that if they kill this person, they will feel happiness and peace. That's all it is. It's a, yeah. They're living completely in illusion. So I think that helps, at least me. It, it clicked with me. I'm like, oh, well, everyone that is more in ego is just living in illusion. They're not aware of it. Like yeah. the Matrix kind of. What do you think about, like, the factor of, like, time? Like, say you, in a situation, react poorly, you, like... Yeah, so <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> you like uh, react poorly, like you're very judgmental, but like usually, like after maybe a week, a month, you look back on the situation, you self reflect, and you're like, I was in the wrong in that. And like, I feel like in a lot of things, like over time, if you look back, you're like, yeah, I shouldn't have done that, and all those types of things. Is that. I don't know what I'm trying to say exactly here. Like, you know, if you're not always going to make the, you're going to make judgments in situations, but as long as you're self-reflecting over time exactly. and trying to be, like make better, uh, better actions and decisions in the future, like that's all that might matter, you know? Agreed. I th- yeah, I think it's all like a- awareness, right? So people that act a certain way and aren't aware they're acting a certain way, they're never going to be able to reflect and look back and say, oh, maybe the choice I made was a very unconscious choice based out of ego and I got yeah. triggered and it was like my pain body or whatever. That's the most dangerous state when you just continue to be in blinders. Yes, when you're unconscious. That, those are the most dangerous people in the world that yeah. are completely unconscious because they're just like um, a firecracker. Like they have no awareness of what they're doing you know they see the world as this enemy and they're probably just so traumatized Mm -hmm. or whatever that they can't see anything yeah um yeah i don't know it's very interesting i know what you're trying to say and i think it's not judgment like if you look back on your choices you're still not judging yourself you're just like oh back then i wasn't aware that i could have made a better choice yeah but now i am which is cool yeah like maybe based on all we know right now like i can make judgments in a situation but it's incorporating it like all I know and like trying exactly. to make the best judgments but nonetheless like in two months from now I'll be like oh, it's st- it was still a little bit flawed like the way I made that judgment because I feel like judgments no matter what always happen like you walk into a room like yeah, it's impossible 20 people like y- your mind is programmed to like assess the situation and start quickly making judgments so you're not right. like over like I don't know. You just can't deal with the situation, especially like introverts, right? Yes. Like we have to categorize what's going on and like uh, how do I go about this? So mm-hmm. like snap judgments have to be made. But um, yeah, like if you reflect later on and you like made incorrect judgments, like that's the point where like yes, now I need to make some tweaks. Like going back to, I feel like that's been like the whole thread of our conversation so far today like you know recognizing that self-awareness when when is it time to make a tweak yeah or maybe i don't need to make a tweak you know right no yeah i think it's a very like organic process too like the more i've been getting into like meditation and stuff i feel 
I mean, as, as cliche as it is, like, all the great teachings talk about this, like, be here now, the present moment is all there is. And in that moment, if you can drop into it, often the answers will appear to you. Like, if you need to journal, if you need to reflect, if you need to reach out to someone and apologize for how you behaved, it's all with that increase in awareness that happens when you can like drop out of your mind mm-hmm. and even like I you know I've had like social anxiety and I'm sure you, you know like when you go in a room and you just feel overwhelmed yeah I think the best way to work with that is to if you get triggered by someone's behavior like which is kind of a judgment like usually we get triggered and then we judge that person so we feel uncomfortable but it's instead of feeling the discomfort we're like well fuck that guy he's a piece of shit mm-hmm. but if we can really feel into that and just be like well I don't know anything about him, but something about him triggered something in me. So if we can turn the lens back around instead of judging them, like recognize what it brought up in us and then kind of feel through that, I think that's a way to handle those situations to understand that like our judgments are inherently false because it's a limited perspective, right? Like if I see a guy that looks like a gangbanger and you know, I'm I'm terrified of him. I think he's going to shoot me. There's no way that's, true because it's a it's based on past conditioning it's based on the media it's based on yeah whatever so i think what's so important is to just not even not even reflect anything outward but understand that whatever you're perceiving is stuff that you need to work through yeah it says nothing about that person it says everything about you so that's what i've been trying to work through i'm i think that is the most constructive way to approach that situation and the most ideal way yeah. I think it's so difficult Absolutely. to do that. <laughs> Absolutely. The one adjustment I'll I'll make on um, mm-hmm. the like the judgments, like you make you come into a room and you make a judgment and it's like there's there's no way that your judgment will be fully correct. Mm-hmm. But I think it's kind of like shades of gray, right? Like if, if I make a judgment, like in, in one situation, there might have been a component that was correct. In the judgment yeah. or there might have been like 90% of it that was right That's or true. there might have been 0% right like I could have been way off on the judgment yeah so like I feel like sometimes we actually do like make really good judgments but Proper, even when you yeah. make a really good judgment you don't know their full history you don't right. know what situation they were just in so it's always going to be a bit off right yes that's a good like, point the lens is never perfectly like adjusted so <clears throat> but even despite that like so you can make the judgments because it's going to help but if you have a situation where someone is really irritating you or you just don't like them like what you just described of like what in me is causing that yeah just the best way you can possibly go about it um yeah it's like the most conscious way right yeah but it's so difficult to not get carried away into yeah. thought pattern i fail nine times out of ten trying yeah. to go about it that way but like I mean the old adage is like fall down seven times get up eight like it's a practice right like hopefully if we keep doing it you get better at it and um, yeah I had something I was going to say about that but uh, oh so I was going to say like relating to like when you go in a room and everyone like you feel like you have to kind of assess the situation what I've been realizing in myself is it's because so if I'm comfortable with myself Mm -hmm. I'm not necessarily surveying as much because the surveying comes from a place of insecurity, at least with me. This is, I'm not projecting onto you or yeah. anything. So it's like, who do I need to be in this situation? So that's what I'm doing. I'm like, okay, that this person, this person, this person. I'm feeling the energy of the room. I'm like, mm-hmm. what image of myself do I need to present to fit in? Yeah. And I think the more you like work on yourself and heal 
um, parts of you that you've maybe neglected or do like the shadow work and all that stuff, then you're just like, you know what, I'm in this situation, I'm assessing the room, but I'm not letting that affect how I act. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm still in intuition, I'm still understanding the vibes of people, but it's not reflecting back to me to tell me to change my behavior, like to try to fit in. Like if you're, you yeah. know what I mean? Like if you're in a room where you don't vibe with people, you're not gonna be forced to be like, oh, well, I can't be myself. I think there's, there's a fine nuance there. So I, I yes. gr- agree with the general point. Like I think first of all, like situation by situation, like if I were, was to go in a certain room full of certain people, like you might not have any sense of insecurity at all. In yes. another situation, you will have that insecurity. But mm-hmm. like over time, hopefully you get to the point where that level of insecurity decreases mm-hmm. in across all situations, which it probably never will be the case for anyone. Everyone right. gets insecure at different times. And right. depending upon the context of your full in an auditorium room of a thousand people. Right. Like you're no matter who you are and how secure you are in yourself, you're probably gonna experience some degree of insecurity. Right, at least a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think like the the aspect of surveying and kind of determining when you walk into that room, I think that aspect is fine. Again, mm-hmm. keeping in mind that what you're taking in and the judgments that you make might not be fully correct. But I think the key to what you said was as long as you're not changing who you are mm-hmm. based on what's coming in. Yeah. That's where like the confidence element comes in. So yeah. if, if you, you might be insecure in different situations, but mm-hmm. if you come into those situations and then make those assessments and then now all of a sudden I'm going to change my behavior right. to adjust, that's someone that's like, well, my, who I am currently and the behavior that I normally would have isn't good enough for said situation, so mm-hmm. I'm gonna change who I am. And exactly. I think that's the point that, like, it's key. Like, you need to get to a, a place with yourself where, like, you might be insecure, you're gonna take in the room, but you're not gonna change your behavior. You're just yeah. taking that information in and forming, but you're confident in who you are at the end of the day. Yes. And you still navigate through whatever you're going through. You described it very well. It's, I think that's exactly the goal. Because you're still intuitive and you're still surveying, you're still understanding the situation, but you're not. And of course, you're still going to be socially calibrated because like we all, I mean, you have to mold a little bit, of course. Yeah. But like you said, it's very nuanced. You're you're going into the situation, molding into the situation, but you're not um, marginalizing your integrity or, you know, because I think that's where it comes in. When well, you know you want to totally say something. Person. Yeah. yeah. Altering your views just because you yes. know that someone's going to respond to yes. you. Yes, like lying. That's a huge yeah. it's in, I think it's always integrity. Like if someone says something and you, you go along with it because you don't want to disagree, that's that's where that yeah. marginalization comes in. And then later on you feel like shit because you're like, well, why did I, why was I not confident enough to be honest? Yeah. And then it's like a shame cycle. And I've been, a, oh man, so yeah. many times. So yeah, it it's very deep man it's so yeah. fascinating really and that's tough too because like that gets into elements of like if someone says something and you don't respond to it like i guarantee you like in some cases depending upon who said it you definitely would counter back right with yes. what your opinion is but now it's like power dynamics and who is the person that said what and and what is their status that all of a sudden you feel inferior that you can't speak up mm. provide your counterpoint you're just gonna remain silent so it's like 
I feel like it's upper level complexities of social it's dynamics there. Like, make sure it's still recording. Sorry, I just want to make sure it doesn't cut off like last time. Okay, forty-seven minutes. Maybe in like ten minutes, I'll check because I think it cut off at an hour last time. Okay. Um, no, I agree, and that always messed me up. That was the one thing about JP that I didn't vibe with, where he made it sound like everything was like a power struggle. And, yeah, uh, the hierarchies and the and all that. Um, I think that's very primal thinking, and I think as human beings, we're meant to evolve beyond that to some degree. So, like for instance, if I'm in a room and I just speak my truth in like a calm, respectful way, like I don't think that necessarily. I think there's a way to argue from ego and argue from consciousness, and arguing from consciousness would be like, this is how I feel, and that's it. I'm not, I don't care if you agree or disagree. I'm just trying to, to share what I feel. Yeah. And then there's ego-based, like, fuck you, fuck you, this is what I agree, blah, blah, blah. And it's just, like, fire and fire. But I think you can have a rational discussion and disagree Yeah. from a different headspace. So that's where I think, I think if you're truly speaking from that place, then the other person almost senses that, like, you're not attacking them. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I think it's very, very nuanced. And, and it depends on the other person sometimes, like how yeah. how aware they are, right? I was going to say that I think yeah. that power and status obviously plays a role in those situations. Sure. And depending upon, like, if there is a very powerful, high-status person, if you also happen to know that, like, they're very volatile, like, maybe, like, you have your truth, but you might not want to speak it because you know that's going to be combustible like if this is the middle east and you're in a room and it's a dictator right and you speak your truth that's contrary to theirs like you're dumb to say it in that situation yes you're going to get in prison or killed like so that's understanding those dynamics and i feel like you should be able to feel secure and speak but at the same time like you have to assess that situation and that Very like if, if the if the leader or the person with power in the room is rational minded they should be able to take in and secure in themselves they should be able to take yes. in your objection and be like okay that's uh, more information i right. disagree with it but so on it doesn't matter but again if, in that situation if it's a dictator from some country like i would advise you know bite your tongue in the situation don't say anything because I mean, even though you you disagree, like, this might not be the time or place. Like, and, and in some situations, like, you should. That's, what, like, what martyrs do, right? Like, you're going to sacrifice yourself for a greater good. Right. Truth but, no matter what. Yeah. yeah. But you. But what's the scale of the situation, and what are you yes. disagreeing on? Like, yes. it, I, I don't, there's so many layers to it. As yes. Always. No, this, is, this brings me back to the football example, because the stuff we're talking about is like the playbook and then the situations themselves are like the play itself exactly so yeah you 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 can discuss it which is fantastic like i think discussions like this it's like you're learning and and integrating the playbook yeah but then you get out in those situations and it's like all bets are off exactly like oh what is the exact play in this situation it's like okay well we need to assess yeah a hundred different variables and then i can tell you what the best play is but like if we're just I feel like that's the one thing. Like a lot of people are broad stroking strategies. Like, uh, we'll just we'll just do this. It's like that might work in eighty percent of situations. Twenty percent, right. it's not gonna work. But the person listening needs to be aware of that. It needs to be aware that this might be like 
to our very first discussion point of the day. Like, here's the general structure, culture of the company. Mm. Maybe abide by it most of the time, mm. but have that freedom sometimes where you got to make an audible play. Yes, and go, audible. Go, I love it. Go but... contrary to it. Yes. Like, so, but like, I feel like by dis- discussing like the finer plays, like that situation of when to to speak something that's yes. might be uncomfortable to the rest of the room. Like, there's so many different situations, and I'd say in, in a lot of them, you should probably provide that truthful, contrary opinion, if that's mm-hmm. the case. But there is a, a percentage of the time where I would say, you know, let's uh, <laughs> revisit another time. <laughs> no, dude, that's that's very well said. That's exactly right. Yeah, because there's, there's no... There's no sentence or quote or system that's going to work 100% of the time. No. It's just that's because life is organic and evolving and it's always novel and there's so many in, in, in infinite amount of variables. So yeah. that's absolutely right. That 80-20 thing is interesting because I kind of, in our job, there's one coworker who's like very, she's very rigid and she's self-diagnosed herself as she thinks she has Asperger's a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's very, very blunt and she wants to follow the rules like black yeah. and white. And her and I got, and actually it was a very rational discussion. Like I texted her and I was like, hey, do you have a problem with me? Because I sent something off. And she's like, no, but I don't like how you kind of pick and choose when you interpret the rules. Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of that. I was kind of telling her, and I said, I respect your opinion, but I think some situations need to be adapted to and an audible needs to be made. And she just, she was of the thinking that if there's company rules, you follow the company rules because otherwise the values of the company deteriorate. Yeah. I, I totally see your point because yeah. if someone comes in and is like, you know what, I don't really feel like following that rule right now, Yeah. then at what point do the rules become meaningless? And I think that's her point. Yeah. But I do think that the happy medium is like, you can't, it can't be 100% of the time. It can't. Yeah. It can't. It's... Because then it's no longer living. It's just... Yeah. Yeah. I have a comparable, like, work example and I feel like again this goes to the structure thing like a lot of people like you kind of tell them you know here are the 10 rules abide by the 10 rules and they're like fantastic I'm abiding by the 10 rules but if anything comes out of the ordinary they don't know how to deal with the situation and it's just lost like I I don't know what to do so I'm just kind of going to shut down Um, like I myself Oftentimes, I will look at the 10 rules and see which 10 rules make the most sense. Um, maybe one of the rules, like it's not, that's not really providing as much value. So I might not pay as much attention to it. I'm gonna focus on the ones that matter mm-hmm. and deprioritize some, which one could argue is like not beneficial to the culture of those rules. But at the same time, when there is like a monkey wrench thrown in, yes, I'm much better at being able to like look outside assess like how do we deal with this situation and go mm-hmm. about it and help navigate in those times so i might not be the best at following 100 percent of the rules mm-hmm. but at the same time in those situations of like chaos when the people following the 10 rules diligently which is admirable like don't know how to go about it mm-hmm. i can help out then and be like all right so this is how we're going to go about it and this is how we're going to get through it mm-hmm. so it's like i feel like you know it's just strengths and weaknesses right like yeah. you need those people that are always going to do like what is said correctly and do it repeatedly and diligently but you also need the people that you know they're going to get those rules right a good majority of the time 
and hopefully the ones that are more important like you do yeah. like most of the time the ones that are not as important maybe those are the ones you kind of glaze over sometimes but those are the people I feel like that are usually better at like novel situations like okay now we need to come together as a team and this is how we're going to get through it mm. and then that's the strength of that person and I think mm. it's you need both to make something work you know so Dude, I, I love how all of our discussion has basically been about that concept of order and chaos like everything is something yeah. like that right we've been talking about the systems and then eventually you have to go away from the system and it's all about knowing when to stay you know play close to the chest when to kind of free you know do it uh in a more flexible way i, I was just like thinking of like a chaos. podcast i'm like yeah. i think some name of like i don't know i think we can definitely keep talking about this because it's applicable to everything i agree and i, I think it. the order chaos thing is just an analogy for like like football in place yes like every like play something else some other new formation is going to take place and you're trying to figure out the best way mm -hmm. to combat that situation mm -hmm. so there's a certain amount of order you know how many players are going to be on each side like that there's those rules to the game but each play is chaos yeah, so you're trying to navigate it with what's the best play for this like situation, oh, which like is a perfect balance of order chaos. But that's I think amazing. our analogy of like the football individuals and sports people and plays is perfect and is exactly the same thing as order chaos. That's so fucking cool. Yeah, every sport's like that too because you draw up the play, or even in baseball, the pitcher decides what the best pitch is. Maybe the batter's guessing what's coming, and then once yeah. it starts, that's where the chaos goes. Yeah. And then it's. And I think that's why people. I don't know. I, people love sports for a variety of reasons. I think right. one, of, one of the reasons people love sports is because it is that balance, right? Mm. Like, I know the general dynamics of the game, but every game is going to be different because every game has a component of, like, disruption and chaos to it. Mm. And, like, the team that's better able to plan, like, the New England Patriots are maniacal about planning, yes. understanding. They're trying to limit the amount of chaos they can with mm. their order. And then through that knowledge, like, here are the plays, and that's why they're the best. But, like, we love watching teams that, like, are able to kind of navigate that. And that's why, like, yes. sports is so interesting. Whereas, like, if it, was, if it was pure chaos and rules and scoring was different every game, no one would give a shit. Because what the hell true. is going on? Like, yep. touchdown was seven points, now it's 15 this game. <laughs> right, what right, are you guys right. doing? Right. Well, like, if it was all order, like, every game ends exactly the same. Boring. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like... That's fuck. That's so cool, dude. Yeah, the Patriots especially, you're right, because that's what they do. They minimize as much chaos as possible. Like, And when you have... You need, obviously, a very intelligent commander and leader, which yeah. is Brady... Well, Belichick and Brady. Brady gets to the line. He's like, what's the most likely... Like, he's, he's making his it. reads. Yeah, right? he's done this for, what, 20 years? Yeah. He's His awareness of taking all that knowledge in and being able to distill it and paired with Belichick... Like, yeah, it's, they have so much knowledge and so much awareness of all the situations and so much information that they get. It's amazing. And they organize it more effectively than their other teams. Wow. So not only do they have the processing capability and the awareness, but they can organize it. Yeah. And I feel like that's what makes them the machine that can, like, constantly win. Whereas, like, the Cincinnati Bengals, <laughs> like, like, yeah, I feel like, you probably don't have the same processing power of like the no. people in charge there. 
you don't have the organization like it's just you're missing the components that make a well-run engine yeah so. that's a great way of thinking about it man being a quarterback is just it's a like how complex it is like you have to, you have the whole playbook in your head yeah and then you get to the line you have to kind of like pick out okay like what reads do i think yeah damn, i don't know where that cut off but um yeah brady it makes sense that he has so many oh, they call him golden boy right because he's like once in like a hundred years kind of player he embodies everything i yeah. mean even like he's got the good looks he's got the supermodel wife but and like he doesn't really have any skeletons. Like anyone that hates on him is hundred percent projecting their yeah. stuff on him. Like you can't honestly say he's like a pe- like people are like oh he's a piece of shit. It's like yeah okay. I mean, <laughs> based on everything like outside, it's like he checks all the boxes. At the same time, have I seen him on a day to day basis? True. You know how he's in. Obviously, he's got to have some flaws. Sure. Like, no one's sure. perfect, right? Yeah. Um, but in terms of comparing, like, how can you kind of... That is such a high standard now. It's but, like, if you're a quarterback, you're held to a standard like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's why a lot of people with, like, Trubisky... Yeah. Like, there's a lot of boxes he doesn't check. And that's why I don't think it's going to work. Because, like, yeah. he has the physical tools, but I just don't think he can read defenses. Like, he just doesn't have the mental fortitude. And usually yeah. I feel like you can tell right away with the quarterback, kind of like, does he have it, does he not? Yeah. I feel like the boxes for Trubisky that he might not check are the processing at the line. Like, here's the unique play. Yes. I need to take this in quickly, make the best decision. Seems like he has trouble with that. And the other thing is um, confidence. Yeah. That's I think it. he questions his ability. He's in his own that. head a lot. Yeah. yeah. And if you don't have the confidence everything else kind of fails very true so athletic ability i think he's probably athletic enough i think that his leadership skills it sounds like are phenomenal mm-hmm. but if you don't have the confidence and i think like the processing stuff that's something that could get better over time like you're young to league you didn't start many games in college if you're just able to learn from every game and, and take more in like you will get better at the processing and making better decisions but if you don't have confidence in yourself it's done because yeah. then you're like am i making better decisions am i improving am i am i limited like they're saying i'm limited in this regard mm. and then it's just a vicious cycle and then you you, you can't make it back yeah i don't know yeah, if you don't have the confidence, then you're always chained to something because you're never going to let yourself fully expand. Like, that might even be, like, a Kirk Cousins thing. Like, someone who's in too much rigidity, they're, like, attached, even, like, from a Buddhist perspective, they're, like, a, too attached to that structure. And so you can break away from that structure and be truly yourself. You'll never go past a certain glass yeah. ceiling so I think that's exactly where that would fit in is you have to have the confidence to know that like you've learned everything you can learn in this situation like I, I know what I have I have all the book knowledge I have all the knowledge of the plays I have to trust myself to be able to integrate that in the moment to know where the guys are going to cut and all yeah. that you have to be able to let go of it it's like yeah. uh, in Buddhism they say you use the raft to cross the river but once you're at the other side of the river you can drop the raft yeah. Like you've you, you've already learned what you need to learn. You don't have to cling to the knowledge. Yeah. I think that's where a lot of people get too in their head is they're trying to play out the scenario 
in a logical way, but that's not how it works. Yeah, and I think like we talked about earlier, no one is fully, like everyone has some degree of insecurity. Absolutely. If you have a string of three bad games, if you're gonna be an upper ash, one of the top quarterbacks, you have three bad games, doesn't matter, next game I'm gonna kill it. You need to have that mentality of, that was an anomaly, next game I have full confidence I'm gonna be phenomenal yep bounce back I feel like most rational people if you have three bad games in a row the media is hating on you the fans are questioning you yes most people be like uh, is there something wrong with me like wh- what am I doing wrong and I think if you have that mentality all of a sudden the fourth game becomes that much harder now mm. it's mm, what's, what's what's wrong you know, mm. whereas someone that's going to be, it's just a fluke. Like, next game I'll be great again. Like, having that confidence just is a vital component to be yeah. at that level. Yeah, like, the emotional intelligence and the awareness to know that, like, yeah, those three games were just a little trough. Like, maybe your head wasn't in it. Yeah. There was some stuff going on. Like, you're fine. Just the bounce back ability, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, you know. Resilience. Exactly. If no matter how bad it is, every time I have full faith, I'm going to bounce back immediately. Even if it's mm-hmm. a whole, like, if you had a whole season that was terrible, like, I feel like even Brady, even with declining with age, in his head, he's like, I can still do it. Mm-hmm. No matter what. Like, I'm 43. Something like that, yeah. I think he might be 43. declined last year, and he says, well, what, I'm not done. I still can do it. Like, there's that, there's that full-fledging confidence in himself. Mm-hmm. Whether or not his body can sustain that now is a different question. Right. But mentally, he's there. Well, and then the question becomes, like, self-awareness. When do you, like, know, like, okay, you know what, I'm done. Yeah. Because I think that's super common with athletes, especially. They're like, yeah. I'm going to keep going as long as I can. Like, Favre played too long, probably. I, I think that's the problem with if you have that super resilient mentality and that confidence. At some point, your body can't hold it anymore. Right. And it's like, in the past, you always told yourself, well, I can do it. And then your body responded. But at some point, it's like anything. It doesn't work forever. Yeah. It's the careful act of, is now the right time to call it? Should I called it, have, have called it three years before? Or actually, I could have maybe waited two more years. Yeah. Anyone, I don't know, anyone's guess, right? Yeah, it's, I think that's something only they can answer. Like even Andrew Luck retiring, right? He's yeah. like, you know what? It's not, it's not worth it. And if... I mean, I think it's easy to get attached to your ability. Like, there's always stories of, like, great musicians who, you know, get in an accident and then they lose their ability to play and then they're just in this big depression. Mm -hmm. So if you get attached, like, if Tom Brady says, all I am is a quarterback, well, then, of course, you're not going to let it go because that's your your identity. identity. That's it. And so I think that's where, like, spirituality comes in is you understand that, like, yeah, I'm fucking amazing at football, but the inherent... um, skill and attitudes and everything that I have that allowed me to be a great football player, they can move to other areas of life. And I have that. I'm, I'm always going to be who I am. Yeah. It doesn't matter if I'm playing football or if I'm doing real estate or whatever. Yeah. Who I am will not change. It was just, that was just one avenue for my greatness or my brilliance. Yeah. So it's like, be willing to let go, I think, and to transition is, is difficult for all of us. And that's why it's so hard to grow, I think, is, you know, we're scared to let go of the familiar, right? They always say it's the devil you know that you'd rather choose. Mm-hmm. So it's scared to step out to a new experience. So we always hold on 
yeah. even if we know this might be a better opportunity like that's why people stay in like abusive relationships mm-hmm. it's like i'd rather stay in something that i'm familiar with and step out even if it might be good for me yeah i'm gonna stay where i feel comfortable yeah and where i have an identity yeah and looking at like the play-by-play level like if you're gonna retire like there are some people probably where their entire life they've tied their identity to being a great athlete mm-hmm. for those people like if they did that and they had success in it maybe they didn't develop any other areas mm-hmm. like you're bound to have an identity crisis that's and true depression when you part other people they might have while they were becoming a great athlete they developed that, but they developed other aspects. Yes. And they kind of built up a greater foundation. Absolutely. And for them, you, you probably, I imagine, still suffer that identity crisis of, hey, I'm no longer this. But at the same time, since you build, like, other avenues, it's going to be easier for you to get out of that, like, depression and go somewhere else. Because it's yeah. like, hey, I was great at this, but I also enjoy this. I'm going to go here. Yeah. But if I have, for 35 years only loved one thing right and i've all been all in on it and now it's i feel pulled away from me mm. by something i can't control which is your body like it's it's gonna be a, a real rough period oh me. yeah like yeah i think anytime you get attached to anything like i think it all comes from a scarcity mindset um like you hear of like the business owners they create maybe like a Ten million dollar business, and then because of the financial crisis, they lost all their money, and then they killed themselves. Yeah, it's when you're attached to one thing, like you said, you're. They don't have a conscious awareness of what life is or growth or who they are, so they attach their identity to one thing, and then mm-hmm. they're so insecure about losing it that they alienate every other aspect of their life. You know, usually these guys are unhealthy. Like they might make a lot of money, but their family life is a yeah. wreck. Their relationship is a wreck. Their health is a wreck. And then when they lose that one thing that they were holding on to, then that's it. There's like, well, mm-hmm. why do I have the will to live? Yeah. Whereas if you look at like Tom Brady, like he's got, you know, the, the TB12 method, he's got Ugg boots, he's got yeah. all these avenues, he's got, I think they have kids. Um, yeah, so you, you don't pigeonhole yourself. You don't yeah. limit yourself. And I think that's what ego does inherently, is ego limits us and attaches to an image and a concept when who we all really are is the energy and the infinite nature if we want to get really spiritual but anytime you limit yourself that's where the the suffering comes in yeah you're so attached to those yeah conceptual and images yeah kind of difficult too because like even with the case of tom brady like i know he has other things going on but has he like tied part of his identity to those things i don't know true true we Which don't know maybe is why he like is going to play football until basically can't get out in the field anymore because he's his identity is completely attached to it but i feel like for a lot of cases like if you want to get to the pinnacle of you know your career or your profession like attachment basically equates to obsession Mm. and you need that obsessive quality to like i must get better each day like it's Mm. it's the kobe bryant mentality of waking up at three in the morning and right. shooting for three like, pointers yeah for hours or something for years on end it's yeah the attachment becomes obsession and the obsession fuels the success whether that is healthy or not case by case basis right yes because some yes. people can have that full attachment it becomes obsession they become the best and then you know they learn and they kind of see the end of their career coming and maybe they start making some 
pivots, building the foundation to go other ways. Yeah. But other people, like you built everything up and then you didn't have the foresight to look into the future and all of a sudden now you just drop off the cliff yeah. because everything was tied to it. Yeah, no, I think Kobe at the end, he seemed like he had a very, he had a good awareness. Like he started exactly. to transition like to being a father and I think he's coaching. a rare case. He's a very because rare case. Because he was so obsessive about it for so long. Yes, the same and it was time. all ego, like I gotta be the best, gotta yeah. be the best. Yeah. But he had the reflection of when his body was starting to break down yeah. and he knew it was time. And then he started to pivot away and build other paths that were related to the original identity, coaching basketball. Right, like it was. Yeah, that's a good it point. It's still related avenue off to of it. pivot, though. Yeah, yeah. But he had, but he had the self reflection and the foresight to like make that pivot, and he was he seemed from a public perception completely happy with that. Yeah, I don't. So no, that's a good point, though. Like, I think pivot. You don't have to pivot so far away, too. Like if yeah, like that's why a lot of guys go into announcing or coaching stay close yeah yeah, you already have all that knowledge so don't make it be wasted Mm -hmm. but you can't physically be there anymore so how can you help guide other people you know it's kind of like you evolve from playing to teaching and i Mm -hmm. think that's what they talk a lot about in life as you get older like you know you acquire all this stuff and you learn all this stuff and then once you get to a certain age you become like the mentor or the wise person the natural progression has become the yoda of what you've excelled at yes that's kind of pinnacle is you kind of row the entire wave you did the best you could and then it, I feel like if you've done everything kind of correctly like character foundation wise and you built up that confidence like the next level obviously is Yoda yeah like no, Yoda's you're, you're naturally going to become Yoda like Star Wars and the Jedi and all that stuff is very deep and layered it's so yeah. cool all that stuff about fear and suffering and anger yeah yeah because Yoda I mean he's well I guess he could still fight um, but he's just living in a hut and he's training the new generation. Uh, yeah. There's a great quote that says, um, I think it's like, when you, when you can plant trees under which shadows or something you'll never sit under, that's how you know you've evolved or something. Anyway, when you know that like you're going to plant something and you won't even be around to see it, yeah. that's, I think, true like benevolence and service mm-hmm. is like you're just genuinely trying to help people. Yeah. Like shit, I might, you know, you might be like, I might die tomorrow, mm-hmm. but if I can plant one seed in someone's brain that will help them grow and make the place, you know, the planet yeah. a better place, then that's awesome. So, which I don't know if like to get to a Yoda point, like you have to have that phase. Right. Do you have to? I where you've gone through the thick of it yourself, and you've experienced like quarterback analogy again. I've seen every possible thing they could throw at me I have this wealth of knowledge and now I, I've, I've kind of transcended to the point where someone else hasn't seen all the formations and I can help you figure out and kind of cluster those things better right. but you can't go from nothing to Yoda right like and it's it, natural like the hero's yeah. journey right like you have to go through yeah yeah, even with, like, spirituality, they always talk about, um, well, and even, like, Tyler would be an example. Like, he was very motivated by ego, like, trying to get laid, trying to make money. And then once he got to the point where he had everything he thought he wanted, mm-hmm. that's where you kind of evolve and realize you don't need anything of that. It's just yeah. about serving and giving and expressing and creating. Yeah. All of that stuff can be part of it, 
But if you make it the focus, it's ultimately never going to make you happy. So it's yeah. like that shift from scarcity to abundance, from taking to giving. But you do wonder if you need to learn yeah. that experientially. You can't read about it. I was going right? to say, yeah, maybe the, the, the ego, I mean, I feel like it gets a lot of negativity now, but it serves that purpose, right? Right, right. Like it, the ego early on in life will drive you to figure out what should I attach my identity to? Like maybe you'll get to the obsessive level and then you become super amazing at it. Then you reap all the economic and right. social benefits and you realize like none of that really mattered. Yep. I was kind of, but you, you found something you fell in love with and you've learned the ins and out of it. And you realize all the, the cherries on top, they don't, they don't make it happen anyways. Yeah. It was that journey the of learning every single aspect of this sport mm. that at the end of the day was what you really enjoyed and the money, the girls, or whatever, always that was nice to have, but it was that core that really provided you with the meaning. Yeah. And then you have, so the ego served the purpose to take you through all that. Mm. And then now you want to be like to someone before they start the journey, hey, like the cherries on top, they don't matter. But you got to learn that for yourself. You know, yeah. it's kind of like I, I like the people that are like, uh, you know, like, oh, wealth doesn't bring you happiness. And people are like, well, let me find that out for myself. That's, no, that's <laughs> so true. And like Tyler had a video on that, too. He's like, I understand that me saying that like that won't bring you happiness. Yeah. Sounds like a big slap in the face to a lot of you guys. Yeah. So he said, you know, I still want you to, to do those things. I want you to get a girlfriend or whatever. I want you to make money. But I'm just telling you from my perspective that it can't be the main focus, like yeah. you said. Yeah. If the ego serves its purpose properly, you do all that. And when you develop your character, you come to the realization probably that none of that other stuff really mattered. Yeah. If maybe it doesn't develop correctly and you just become attached to the other stuff on top and that's when you kind of maybe go down like a bad trail yeah but if, if, it's, exactly if right. it's properly gone through the path then it's like oh yeah like that stuff that's not gonna make you happy at the same time someone's starting the journey like they're incentivized by the cherries yes and sure yes. use that use that as motivation exactly. and go through all of it and figure it out and then hopefully you get to the point where you realize it wasn't about that anyways yeah no that's a really good point man because like w working with teenagers that's what i i see and I, at first i was like judging them because i'm like oh well don't you understand that this doesn't matter yeah but then like what you just said you have to recognize that that's keeping them going and that's the headspace they're in so you have to honor where they're at yeah on their journey and on their process and understand you know because like this one kid was like heartbroken over a girl or something and i'm like dude you'll be fine you don't need women you know but yeah. i it, it's forced me to evolve and look at myself and be like, dude, stop projecting like where you're at on these kids. Yeah. Their, their headspace is their headspace. Yours is yours. Yeah. How can you serve them from where they're at? Yeah. Let, let the ego drive and let the, like, let, let them use the carrots as motivation. Yes. And if those carrots will hopefully lead you down the right way. Yes. Yeah. And I think, I wonder if it has to be pain or suffering, but it, that does seem to be what it feels like for a lot of people, where it's either great darkness or they have everything they want and they're not happy. But there has to be some tipping point where you go from ego to like a more conscious approach. So I yeah. wonder, I wonder if it's usually a dark place or if it's more of a just dissatisfied place. Or that I mean, for me, the thought too, like if you. So we just talked about someone that 
like you're young, you're like, I want to become wealthy or I want to be at the top of this profession. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're enamored by that glamour. Yes. You start going down that path and you kind of excel at something you figure it out and you're like, eh, that wasn't really worth it anyways, but it was a great journey, you figured stuff out. Yeah. If you are young and you have everything already in the palm of your hand, like mm-hmm. the people that come from, you know, super, super wealthy families, you don't have the motivation, wealth or glamour. So I feel like that might be the case of a lot of people from that background having trouble and like delving into drugs and into other behavior because like most people aren't of that status so it's like uh i'm going to be motivated by these right, things at least trying to get that come yeah. up with a plan to achieve them and yeah. that plan serves greater purpose than achieving those things but if you already have everything why develop a plan like i don't need anything right, you're like i'm, I'm done I, you have no motivation right so why not just try to pleasure yourself with drugs, sex, whatever, all that stuff? Exactly. So there's no journey. And so mm-hmm. you just stay in that space. So it's you can almost argue that it's, it's way more beneficial to come from like a lower economic background. Yes. And, and go for those primal motivations and see where they take you. I mean, it's going to take you somewhere. You're at least going to like have fuel. You have fuel. Yeah. That's a good point. And that's why there's so many like amazing stories of like really successful people that have come from like shit backgrounds yeah because they were in pure survival mode yeah and then i think like you said as they're journeying they slowly realize those like deeper truths it's fascinating i mean yeah the human life how it works like you're born you know jack shit and then you just acquire the stuff and then ultimately it's almost like you drop all the knowledge you had and come from a different place and that's like the whole spiritual awakening thing too is like to understand that all the stuff you acquired don't really need it's really just about embodying who you are and expanding and giving and growing yeah that's the like if everything goes right path like you get to that point yes but you gotta start somewhere and a lot of people like go off that path yeah man where it's difficult absolutely natural conclusion right there (laughs) we could that sounds good How much do we do? Like an hour and a half? Yeah.